Our study this morning is back in the book of First Peter, trying to see if our actions and our words are completely compatible. I heard a story last night about uh, somebody, and they, they were talking about the Lord, talking about the Lord, talking about the Lord to this person who was unsaved, and then in the next breath they were trying to, to manipulate things and trying to work the system and trying to not be honest, and that killed that witness to that person. Well, the world looks to see whether we're compatible, whether the words and the actions completely mesh together and match up, or if we're putting on the mask and being a hypocrite. And then we're under scrutiny by fellow believers. We need love and encouragement from each other. We need to be built up by each other. So we'll be strong in the Lord. I need your encouragement. You need my encouragement. We're not in this alone. That's the value of the body. We need to be supporting each other and speaking words of truth and love to each other rather than tearing down. And then we're under scrutiny by the Lord. Bible says one day we'll stand and we'll give an account to him. Not with the body, not with our spouse, not with our kids, not with our friends. We'll stand before him and we'll give an account to him of how we lived in the flesh. Did we feed our lusts like I talked about last week? Did we, did we go after the things we wanted? Or are we living for the will of God? And the will of God we define as being set apart and being holy for the glory of God. So there's a constant evaluation process as we live and as we speak and as we um, minister and as we serve. Now, living that way has some costs because Christianity and living for Christ isn't just this passive, wonderful, uh, never any problems, never any conflict kind of thing. And I don't mean that negatively. It's just the reality of it. Because if we think this is just going to be, well, I get saved and everything's fine and there are no problems and nothing is expected of me and I go to heaven and, and, and that's how it is. We're misguided. There are going to be costs. First cost is to ourselves. Because if we're going to deny self, if we're going to really live for Christ, it requires a sacrifice of our will. And we've talked about that many times. And that's hard for us because we love our will. We love our way. We want it how we want it. And to walk with Christ, that's not in play. To yield to His Spirit, there's no other choice than to say, Lord, it's not about what I want. It's about what you want. It's not what about magnifies me. It's what about magnifies you. It's not about how I feel. It's about what you want me to experience as I walk with you. So, so the first cost is to us. The second cost is to our old life. Because we don't have our old life anymore. It's no longer in play. Your, your old life doesn't have a voice anymore. Hear that this morning. Your old life doesn't have a voice. It should have no volume in your life. We're done with it. It, it told us it was going to give us these wonderful pleasures that were shallow and were temporary. It gave us promises that are unfulfilled. And it only reminds us how much we don't need it. And then the third cost is people's opinion. And that's where we're going to get this morning. Because in this passage, Peter is teaching that the more we stand for the Lord, this is the hard sentence now, the more we stand for the Lord, the more we may suffer for the Lord. The more we stand for the Lord, the more people may be resentful and frustrated and and difficult and oppose us. And we may suffer because of that. Now, for the people that he's writing to, they they were going through a different kind of suffering. 
It's a little more literal, a little more intense than it is for us. They were being oppressed and persecuted and pushed against. Maybe not like we see in other parts of the world this morning. It wasn't at this point to losing their lives like it is in North Korea or China, where if they catch you with a Bible, they not only kill you, but they kill your family and they kill your kids. And they kill your kids before they kill you, so you have to watch. We're not dealing with that. These people weren't dealing with that yet. Although a few years after Peter writes this, they're going to hang him on a cross upside down. So they were facing opposition and, and persecution. But, but that's not the type of suffering that Peter's talking about this morning. Peter is talking about a different type of suffering that we have to endure. Verbal abuse and slander and insults and accusation and, and, and pressure in our jobs, and our families, to the point of being socially ostracized. This is about a, a relational oppression, a relational opposition, a, a suffering that comes because we're standing for the Lord in our school, or in our workplace, or in our family. And it, and it gets ugly because people don't like it. Oh, people can talk openly about their agendas, and about different faiths, and about uh, the, the, the immoral rights that are now becoming prevalent. And they can talk all about how we need to tolerate each other. But if you talk about Jesus, oh, look out. Everything else is, is fine. Oh, let's, let's express, let's, let's be as immoral as we can. Let's, let's put it right on TV and then let's play it 10,000 times. So everybody sees it. But if you want to say the name of Jesus, oh, no, we're not going to do that. This is a change from 40 years ago when Christianity was stronger and morality hadn't been as, all, uh, as dramatically altered as it is now. But we've seen change take place and it's even happened within the church. And we've talked about that many times. Changing how the Bible is presented. Instead of teaching the whole counsel of God, we get selective because we're nervous about offending people. and We don't want to create any controversy. I heard somebody talking about this this week, and they said it's it's the hype of Christianity. Hype is when you present something in a false, uh, excuse me, in an exaggerated way to 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 sell it to people. That's hype. If you buy this today, this will peel potatoes in five seconds, and we'll send you two for nineteen ninety five, but pay ship, separate shipping and handling. Right? Always separate shipping and handling. Hype. It's going to make you, it's going to make it better and it's not going to create any effort for you. Everything will be easier for you and it will be wonderful. And if you just do this, oh, you won't have any worries. We've hyped Christianity. It's like, a, it's like if, if you're going to resort at a beach and they say, oh, the water's beautiful and the food's so good and there are all kinds of sports activities, but they don't tell you that, you know, at night the bugs are really bad and don't go into the city because there's crime. And everything's got a 17% tax on it. When we sell things, we don't talk about the things that people don't want to hear. We hype the positives. We say it's for your pleasure and for your comfort. And we emphasize or ignore, uh, de-emphasize or ignore the things that aren't related to that. Well, well, that's happened in the church. We haven't trusted the power of the Holy Spirit to work. So we have to kind of sell Christianity. We make it comfort-oriented. We tell, talk about having a great life now. We don't talk about 
heaven realities. We talk about, we talk about let's have a great life now. And that leads to a, to a distorted theology where if you think positively or you just rebuke the devil or you just, or you just give to the right people, you'll have more money, you'll have more possessions, you'll never have any sickness, you'll just, everything will be perfect. You know what? That's consumerism Christianity. Appeal to the consumer, advertise, sell it. But you know what? Here's the problem. You get to a passage like this, and it's hard to explain. Because this passage right here, 1 Peter 4, 12 to 19, isn't consumerism. There's nothing consumer about this. Paul says, as mature, excuse me, Peter says, as mature, believing Christians, as people who are moving on to maturity, there are going to be times where life is going to get very difficult. There are going to be times where people hate us. There are going to be times when people talk about us. There are going to be times when people ridicule us and revile us and think we're absolutely stupid. And they're going to oppose us and make our lives difficult. But he says there are some powerful truths about this that we need to understand as believers that will give us confidence and will give us power and actually, believe it or not, will give us joy to keep living this way. Look at what he says, chapter 4, verse 12. Beloved, now he really he's talking to he's talking to the believer now the one who really loves the lord beloved do not be surprised at the fiery ordeal among you which comes upon you for your testing as though some strange thing were happening to you but to the degree that you share the sufferings of Christ keep on rejoicing so that also at the revelation of his glory you may exult or excuse me rejoice with exultation if reviled for the name of Christ, you're blessed. Because the spirit of glory and of God rests on you. Make sure that none of you suffers as a murderer or thief or evildoer or troublesome meddler. But if anyone suffers as a Christian, he's not to be ashamed, but is to glorify God in his name. For it is time for judgment to begin with the household of God. And if he begins with us first, what will be the outcome for those who don't obey the gospel of God? And if it's with difficulty that the righteous is saved, what will become of the godless man and the sinners? Therefore, those also who suffer according to the will of God shall entrust their souls to a faithful creator in doing what is right. Now, having just reminded us back in chapter 4, verse 1, that we're to arm ourselves with the same purpose that Jesus had, we're to live for the will of God, we're, we're to, uh, to be aware that the end of all things is near, Peter says that doing that following the, the, the teaching of the first 11 verses of chapter 4, that doing that is going to, to create a testing of our conviction and our commitment. And it may not be a mild test. Look at the word he uses in chapter 4, verse 12. He says, it's going to be a fiery ordeal. It's going to be a burning fire that's painful at times. But he says, don't be surprised by it. This is not unusual. It's not strange. It's not like you're experiencing something that that everybody else hasn't experienced who loves the Lord. Jesus even said, if you're aligned with me, if you're my disciple, if you follow me, guess what? You're going to face the same things I faced. If they hated me, they're going to hate you. If they rejected me, they're going to reject you. Don't be surprised. Don't be like, Lord, what is this? I didn't know I was signing on for this. He says, not only don't be surprised, but go and serve me anyway. Speak for me and stand for me 
and serve me and sanctify me in your hearts. I mean, this is coming. It's going to happen. But you need to understand not only that you need to endure it, but look at the next line of verse 13. He says, when you go through this, rejoice. Rejoice that you are participating in these sufferings. Now, I don't know about you, but that doesn't really hit well with my natural mind. So when I'm going through difficulty and I'm being being criticized and people are posing me because of my faith and, and, and it seems like God should come along and say, I don't want you to go through this. I'll stand by you that not only I have to go through it, even though it affects me physically, emotionally, and not only do I have to to go through this just to endure, but but I'm supposed to have an attitude of joy. I'm supposed to rejoice. Not, not just, well, it's okay, I'll get by, just pray for me. That, that's not the meaning of the word. The meaning of the word is, hallelujah, Lord, I'm so, I'm so grateful that you're allowing me to suffer. When was the last time you said that sentence? Thank you, Lord, that I'm suffering for my faith, because then I can be more like Christ. Thank you that that person is critical. Thank you that that person at work Hates me because of my faith. Oh, Lord, praise you. And, and this is not false hyperbole like, oh, it's so great. This is real praise to God. Lord, thank you. Thank you that I get to experience what Jesus went through. And thank you that this trial is to test me and refine me. Listen now, but it is not to ruin me. I'm not going to be ruined by it. I'm going to stand firm because, Lord, you're testing my sincerity and you're testing my faith and you're testing my patience and you're testing my strength. And you say in chapter 4, verse 1 and chapter 4, 13, that if I want to identify with Christ, then I need to suffer with him. Now somebody says, well, he, he already suffered for us, so why do we have to suffer? He suffered so he could deliver us from sin, which we couldn't do. But the Bible says the servant's not greater than the master. So if he suffered, we suffer. And verse 14 says that that suffering, look at it, it brings blessing and joy. Not, I've got so much joy right now, I'm just doing really well. I'll just grip my teeth or it's okay. I'll just, I'll just put on my best face and try to, try to act like I'm doing well, but I'm really struggling. You need to pray. No, that's, that's not what he's saying. He says, when this comes, not just rejoice, but keep on rejoicing. See, those two words are important. Keep on rejoicing. Keep on praising the Lord, but I'm discouraged. Keep on praising the Lord. But I'm suffering. Keep on praising the Lord. But people are critical. Keep on praising the Lord. But, 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 I, no. Keep on praising the Lord. Keep on rejoicing. Keep on striving for Him. Confident that He's helping. Confident that He's sufficient. Confident that He's faithful. We know that this morning, right? That God is faithful in all things. Now, it's important to understand that this testing and the suffering can come from two different sources. And both of them are destructive, but they have very different effects on our heart and mind. The first one is external attacks. Those are by the enemy and by people outside the faith who want us to be ashamed from our beliefs and, and to back down from our convictions. 
They'll only do that if we're living for Christ. Because if we're living for Christ, they don't care. Uh, excuse me, if we're not living for Christ, they don't care. We're just another religious person. They're not, they're not going to bother us. But if we're standing for Christ, oh, that's when people say, uh-uh. And this is getting worse. You've noticed it, right? This is getting worse. And the more we talk about Jesus and the more we say Jesus is the only way of salvation and the more we say the Bible is the word of God, the more those external attacks will increase, especially because I believe there is a new sense in this country that Christianity is on the ropes. And that Christianity, if they just push a little bit more, that once and for all, Christianity can be finally taken down. I I really believe that that attitude prevails in our country right now. So not only will there be opposition to the truth and to talking about Jesus because people want to, don't want to be confronted by their sin and pride, but, but the Lord will allow that opposition. Why? Because he wants us to know what he experienced. He wants us to see, and he, and he wants to see who's, who's really with him. See, the crucible of, of sincerity comes in testing. The test of our faith doesn't come when things are wonderful. The test of our faith comes when things aren't wonderful. So he says, I'm going to allow it. I'm going to allow you to go through testing. I'm going to allow you to go through trials. I'm going to allow people to criticize you. I'm going to allow you to be in opposition. I'm going to allow you to suffer because I want to see who's with me. You love me. You will keep my commandments. So it is essential that you not only stand for me personally, it's essential that you stand for me publicly. And if you're trying to straddle the line and keep a foot in both worlds and kind of say, well, I think I can live over here and I can live over here and I can have these kind of separate lives and, and then I'll, I'll kind of live for the Lord. But, I, but he, he says, no, no, that's, that's uh-uh. You want to know you're really living for me? People aren't going to like you. People aren't going to like you. We can't just serve the Lord, as some pastor said this week, we can't just serve the Lord in our comfort zone and then bail when it gets tough. We need to stand for him all the time. And while these attacks are difficult, they give us a validation that we're living for the Lord. Listen, if you're suffering for living for the Lord and loving him and studying his words and raising word and raising your kids biblically and talking about the Lord and being firm in your convictions, you don't need to be ashamed of that. Take comfort in that, that 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 is what God has allowed so we can share in the sufferings of Christ. So there are external attacks, but the, ch- the challenge we really face is from a secondary source of attacks. And this one is much more painful. It's internal attacks. These are the ones that come from inside the body. Within the group of believers, it's, it's jealousy and it's criticism and it's gossip and it's accusation and it's slander and they all exist. I was joking with somebody last night that many times that comes in the form of a prayer request. Well, we need to really pray for so-and-so because this is going on in their lives. And it's not a concern, it's gossip. We need to be so careful about doing things, listen now, that cause our brothers and sisters to suffer. And that includes a very interesting characteristic. When you look at verse 15, he gives a list of four things. He says, 
Don't suffer for being a murderer or a thief or an evildoer. There's an obvious. That's not suffering for the Lord. That's, that's reaping what you sow. But notice the last one. Don't suffer because you're a troublesome meddler. Oh, man, is that one hard. A troublesome meddler is someone who gets involved in other people's business and then shares their opinions or offers some kind of comment or uses that information to damage other people and damage relationships. And this is within the body. Now, it makes you wonder, don't we have enough of our own business to deal with? Why do we get involved in everybody else's business? I don't know about you, but my mind's swamped. So if I start worrying about what everybody else is doing and, and getting in their business and trying to get, that's just, that's just a problem. How do we solve it? Don't insert yourself into situations and conversations that don't involve you. Don't offer your opinion when it's going to divide and cause trouble and, and create difficulty and disunity. That's what that word troublesome means. And what happens is when we start to do this, our words get back to the other person and then that causes hurt and, and it causes pain and it causes division. And now people are suffering, not for the cause of Christ, they're suffering because we've meddled. It's like an autoimmune disease. An autoimmune disease attacks the health of the body from inside and many times it does much more damage than an external wound that, that just deadens our passion for the Lord and it, and it, and it divides the body. It devours ministry. It, it, just, it just blocks everything. And the worst thing is it grieves the Holy Spirit of God. This is why 1,500 pastors a month are quitting. I think it's because they're weary of pettiness and conflict. And it's not new. Listen, this is not a new problem. Elijah ran to a cave and said, Lord, kill me. I can't do it anymore. And God says, get up, go find the people that love me. Timothy wrote to Paul and said, he's weeping, his tears are going on the parchment as he writes, and the, and the lines are blurring, and he says, I can't do it anymore, these people in Ephesus are eating me alive. And Paul says, get back to the job. Get back to the job, this is part of it. But Paul knew it. Sat in his cell alone at the end of his life, and begged Timothy, please come see me. Please bring me something to read. Everybody's left. Demas, he loved the, the world more than he loved the Lord. Diotrephes, he's been a divisive person in the church. There, there's nobody with me. I, I broke My heart broke this week thinking about all the children that Paul had discipled and developed that should have been there to encourage him. But, but everybody left. God says there are times where it's going to feel like that. And here's what you do. You, you fall into depression and you separate. No, that's not what he says. He says, when that happens, keep on rejoicing. You know, wait, a, wait, a, wait a minute. That, that, that's crazy. That's crazy. This is, this is discouraging. He says, no, you've got to fight against it. Don't be part of it. And when you see it, stop it. And then have the right attitude. Because I'm going to do something. This is my favorite part of the text. I'm going to do something. Look at what he says. If you're reviled for the name of Christ, verse 14, you are, tell me what? Say it loudly. You're blessed. Why are we blessed? 
because the spirit of glory and of God rests on you. In other words, when this happens and we're suffering for our faith and we're struggling because people are criticizing us and we're trying to serve the Lord and be faithful to the Lord and talk about the Lord and people hate us, he says, oh, you're going to be blessed. Now, this is an anticipation of when my glory is revealed and I come back and you really know true joy that you stood firm for me. But let me tell you, there's something I'm going to give you now. I'm going to give you a powerful promise right now. He says, if you're insulted for Christ and you stand for Christ, you are blessed. I am putting my hand of blessing on you. And it's not going to feel that way, but feelings are fickle. So I want you to hear the truth. If you're insulted and reviled because you openly love and serve the Lord and you're doing his work, here's what I'm going to do. Look back at the verse. I'm going to put a special anointing on your life. I'm going to put the spirit of glory and of God, and it's going to rest on you. To offset your suffering, I'm going to give you an extra measure of my spirit to strengthen you and encourage you. What an amazing blessing that is. What an amazing gift that is from the Lord just for enduring some criticism. Now, all believers... All people who have trusted the Lord and given their lives to Christ have the presence of God through the Holy Spirit. But he's saying, I'm going to pour on top of that. I'm going to give you extra. I'm going to place on top of your life, which should be filled with the Holy Spirit. I'm going to cap it. And I'm going to put my spirit of glory and my spirit right on top of you. And it's going to rest on you. And if you take it and you stand for me, with the perspective that the criticism is not about you, it's about me. They hate you because they hate me. But I'm going to bless you beyond what I'm already blessing you. And then he says in verse 16, when you're suffering through this, don't be ashamed. Just just praise me. Overcome. You're an overcomer. I've, I've put that on your life. I've given you my spirit. I've cleansed you, I've sanctified you, I've set you apart, and I've made you an overcomer. I've made you victorious. So when people try to damage you, just keep praising me. Just say, Lord, this is because of you, and I'm so grateful to serve you. And Lord, I praise you that you're allowing me to experience what my Savior experienced when he died for me. And Lord, I know you won't put any more than I can handle, but I am going to live for you, and I'm not going to back down, and I'm not going to waver one bit, and I'm not going to get distraught. Now, we don't always do that, do we? We feel sorry for ourselves, and we complain, and we try to get people to see it our way. And none of that ever works. Because when we're doing that, we're making it about ourselves instead of saying, I'm going to glorify the Lord through how I live. Oh, if we could get that thought today, I'm going to glorify the Lord in everything I do. Today, as I talk, I'm going to glorify the Lord. I'm going to praise the Lord. Every word is going to be sanctified so that God gets glory. When I interact with people, maybe you're going to see somebody today that's, that you don't like or that you're frustrated with or that's been critical of your media. I don't know. I, I hope not, but maybe you do. And, and you're, I'm going to glorify. Lord, I'm going to glorify you in how I react to this person. 
I'm not going to make it about me. I'm, I'm not going to feel sorry for I'm just going to glorify you. I'm going to praise you. Jesus, Jesus endured. I'm going to endure with him. I want to tell you, in 27 years of ministry, I'm a PK. I've been in church all my life. I've been to books, conferences. I've talked to pastors. I'm going to tell you, this, this is probably 85, 90% of the problem in any church. That, that we just, we can't get through things and we hold on to things and we don't glorify God in how we live and how we talk. But here's the thing, and I want to make this very clear. This is not about us. This church is not about us. Our ministry is not about us. Our walk is not about us. Our faith is not about us. Our witness is not about us. It's not about what I want. It's not about what you want. It's not about what makes us comfortable or satisfies us. It is about the Lord Jesus Christ and the work of the ministry. It is about the gospel. I am not ashamed of the gospel of Christ, for it is the power of God unto salvation. The Bible never says, I am not ashamed of myself because I am the power of God to salvation. Could you imagine such a travesty of thought? And yet that's many times how we function. Well, it's about me. No, it's not. It's about the gospel. And the Bible says to get that perspective, we need to endure to the end. Not just, not just get frustrated and, and walk away or be upset or, or hold on to it. We need to get through it. We need to not create conflict. We need to take every thought captive. I've been so impressed this week that when we have these moments of discouragement and fear and anger and hostility and hurt and whatever, we have to take those thoughts captive. We have to handcuff them and say, you are not going to control me. That's not just about sin and lust and temptation. That's about everything. So if I get discouraged, I can't say, well, I'm going to wallow in my discouragement. We have to say, no, Lord, you told me to take that thought captive. And by the power of your Holy Spirit, I'm going to take it captive. It is not going to control me. When that happens, we get the perspective that we need. And we become people who are walking for the glory of the Lord. Now look at the last few verses because you're very quiet and I'm very insecure. It is time, oh, this is a tough verse. It is time for judgment to begin with what? Tell me. Yeah, you don't want to say it loudly because it's hard, right? It is time for judgment to begin. Say it loudly. The household of God. It's time for judgment to begin with the household of God. Take that one thought and we'll pray. Judgment, discipline, refining starts with the house of God. Now, often we think, I can't wait. I'm going to give you an unsanctified thought here. I can't wait until the Lord deals with this world's sin. Anybody ever thought that? You don't have to raise your hand. I can't wait until God gets back at the devil. I I can't wait until God deals with the rebellion. But God says, don't worry about that. I got that covered. Here's what I want you to know. I'm looking at you first. But look. I'm looking at you first. 
Judgment doesn't begin with the world. Judgment begins with the house of God. Because he says, if you're not living for me, and you're not standing against sin, who will? The unsaved person isn't going to. And how are they going to be convinced about me if they don't see a difference in you? So you want the world to be saved? You want evangelism to take place? You want us to reach this community? Guess what? It doesn't start with a program. It doesn't start with passing out balloons, as nice as that is. It starts with our lives. Judgment starts in the house of God. And he says, I'm going to allow you to suffer. I'm going to permit it. I'm going to turn up the heat. I'm going to see who really loves me. And you're going to get slandered. You're going to get accused. And it's going to get tough. I want to see if you're going to fall back into self-focus and bitterness or whether you're going to say, praise the Lord, this is what we were promised. Oh, we get to be like Jesus. We're not free of evaluation just because we have his name. In fact, more so, we face evaluation. When your child has your last name, right? And they get to that age where they are accountable and you know that their behavior is a reflection of your parenting. I hate those days. Now you become so conscious that because they bear your name, you have to continue to teach them and train them and disciple them. Because none of us wants our kids to embarrass us, right? Oh, there goes that Rhodes kid. Oh, yeah, yeah. But would you believe, oh, I can't, I've never seen a child like that and it's not a compliment. Because that child bears my name. They represent me. They're a reflection of me. So in order for them to represent my name well, I have to teach and train and discipline. My wife has to teach and train and discipline, even at 14, 15, 16, 20, 21, we just keep teaching and training and discipline. And we test their character to make sure they're living honestly and walking in the right way because I don't want them to embarrass me. Well, that's what God's saying. You're my children. You bear my name. You are a Christian. And I will protect the name of Christ. It is the name above all names. At his name, one day, the whole universe will bow. So if you think I'm going to let you abuse my name, you're crazy. You bear my name. So I am going to teach you, and I'm going to train you, and I'm going to discipline you. Because I want to strengthen your faith. I want to strengthen your witness. And I want to strengthen the work of ministry. And once that happens, we will be strong and tough and ready to do his work. Throughout the New Testament, the Bible says we're in a battle. We're in a struggle. We're in a race. And he says, run the race strongly in my power and in my sufficiency. And don't stop as the finish lines of you don't say, I'm just exhausted. It has gotten so tough. I can't do it anymore. I've hit the wall. He says, press on for the prize. Press on for the prize. And you know what makes us even stronger? 
when we labor together. When you're running and you hit that wall, like so many do, and you just can't go any farther, if you've got someone running with you saying, come on, a little bit more. I'll never forget when I was a kid and I was running a race and I was in second place. And I was running with my brother who was cross country. He was amazing. I was just a kid. And I was hitting the wall. And I said, I can't do it anymore. He goes, come on, let's go. And I got a burst of energy because he encouraged me. And we went past and I won the race. It's a true story. When we encourage and strengthen each other, rather than tearing each other down, when we edify rather than meddling, when we say, come on, you can keep going. I'll serve with you. I'll run with you. We got a finish line to cross. Come on, let's do it. When we do that, we're so much stronger than when we tear down and criticize and have those internal autoimmune attacks That weakens us where we see I can't make the finish line. You get that, right? We understand this? And once we prepare our hearts, I'm done. And once we rejoice that we get to suffer with Christ, and once we're strengthened by the blessing of His Spirit in extra portion on our lives, the Lord will use us in amazing ways. Listen, The Lord is bringing some new initiatives to this church. The Lord is bringing new ministry opportunities to this church. And we have to be ready because I'm telling you right now, the devil is fighting it. And I'm not talking he's just lobbing a couple grenades. He has got full force out right now fighting us. And we have to get our hearts right with God. Because we're going to suffer externally and internally. And we have to say, we are not going to be ashamed. We are not going to be deterred. We are not going to back down. We are going to stand for Jesus Christ. And we're going to edify each other. And we're going to glorify God. And we're going to get to the finish line. That's our calling. That's before us. Are we prepared? Let's close our eyes and ask the Lord to help us. Lord, we need your help this morning. We need your help. The challenges before us are great. The attack of the enemy is strong. It is so easy for us to forget the words of the songs we sang this morning. That your spirit will come when we call. That you are sufficient. You are great and magnificent and over all things. That you are the one that we can trust without fail and you'll never disappoint us that we can look to you and you will be sufficient Lord everything that you do is strong and powerful and sufficient for what we need and we need to be people that walk 
closely, closely to you. That are not creating difficulty for the work of your ministry. Lord, I repent if I've done that. We have to serve you because the work you've set before us is so wonderful and so amazing. And Lord, if people oppose that and people hate us because of it, I pray we would not get discouraged. I pray we would recognize that that's part of identifying with Christ and that we would rejoice and keep on rejoicing. Lord, I pray you would lift up spirits this morning that are downcast. I pray you would encourage those who are discouraged. I pray you would challenge us if we have pride, if we're being divisive in our ways, if we're doing things that are contrary to your will. Lord, that's true of every one of us, myself included. We repent of that. We ask you to do a mighty work in our midst. Lord, you've already started that. We already see the first birth of it. And we pray now you would help us. May we be a people that is holy and set apart. May we be a people that is marked by love and by sacrifice. May we be a people that's bold and willing to serve you no matter what. Lord, this is our calling, not because we're unique, but because that's what you call every believer to. That's what you call every church to. And we ask you to work in our midst. Help us, Lord, because we are weak. Help us because we don't always follow your will. Help us because we don't call on your name enough. Help us. And we will give you the praise and the glory because you're the only one that's worthy of it this morning. You alone are worthy of the praise and the glory. And Lord, as your children, we want to represent you well. We want to bring honor to your name. So we ask for your help. Lord, blow a fresh wind through our midst. A fresh endowment of your spirit. A fresh excitement, Lord, for the work of ministry that lays before us and all the people out there that don't know you yet that we can reach with your gospel. Help us, Lord, we pray. In Jesus' name, amen.